Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. It's another edition of the Retire Smarter Podcast. Walter Storholt here with you. Thanks so much for taking some time to join us for another episode. I'm joined as always by Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you in Northeast Ohio with offices in Akron and Canfield. They've got a fantastic team at True Wealth Design. If you want to find out more about them, just go to truewealthdesign.com. You can subscribe to the podcast, learn lots of great information about the team, listen to past episodes, all sorts of good stuff there on the website as well. And it's actually important for you to know that because this is part two of a series that we're currently doing. So I invite you to go back one episode you can probably go ahead and listen to this one without having listened to the first one, but you'll want to hear the entire series eventually. So go back to episode 16 right before this one and uh, make sure you listen to part one of our retirement income planning series. Kevin, thanks for taking the time to join us once again and I'll walk through today's topic. Hope you're doing well. I am, Walter. I hope the same for you. I'm excited to talk about retirement income today. Well, it's a really important topic for anybody that is maybe excited about their retirement future. And through this series, we're pointing out some of the things that you want to keep in mind when it comes to retirement income, some of the risks that we face, some of the issues that folks will wonder a little bit about uh, and how they're going to successfully plan for their retirement. And we talked on part one, Kevin, just a little bit about why creating a retirement income plan is so essential. We use that as sort of a building block episode for this series. But today we're going to dive into talking about a particular type of risk, something that you've coined bad timing risk. What do we need to know about bad timing risk? Sure. So uh, just to back up for a real quick second and just provide this framework. So in the past episode, we did talk about this retirement income framework where the different strategies that would come out of your financial plan and when you're deciding how to implement and go ahead and create income fall into two categories of whether it's going to be more an investment or probability based or more of uh, an insurance or guaranteed based. And while guarantees sound great, they're pretty expensive, which is something that we'll delve into in a future episode in the series. And uh, we started talking about that framework. And so if we're going to go ahead and say on one hand, hey, these guarantees are pretty expensive. If we're going to go down that path, we at least need to be mindful of it. If we go down the other path, the albeit less certain path, non-guaranteed, more probability-based path, then we encounter this major, major risk and have to be mindful of it. And I call it bad timing risk. If you look in the academic literature, the really smart people call it return sequence risk. And in effect, really what it is, it's just retiring into a bad period of time. When you think back over the recent past, you know, we had certainly had bad periods of time in late 2007, 2008, early 2009. It was quite a bad period of time. Go back a little bit before then when the tech bubble burst, say 2000 through 2002, also really bad series of returns there. And when you're looking at retirement and potentially 30 plus years in retirement, if you have really negative returns right at the outset of retirement, say for the first two or three years, well, you still have you know, 27, 28 more years to go ahead and provide that income stream for. So it's kind of this, uh, people call it retirement red zone, call it whatever you want. But basically the last few years leading into, uh, last few years of work, and the first you know, several years of retirement really do hold a lot of the, uh, call it crystal ball forecast, if you will, as to how successful or not your retirement's going to be. 
So because nobody has a crystal ball, we have to plan for this risk. So we're going to go through in today's episode and talk about that and talk about a few key concepts to understand. We're going to try to not get too far into the weeds on the numbers and the math. If you go to the website, we'll link to an article that I wrote a year or two ago on the same topic that will actually have the math there. So we'll try to keep this at a little bit of a higher level. From having gotten a sneak peek at the article that you wrote here and the graphic, it's powerful to see the graphic. And I know that you're going to do a great job of you know putting this into audio version for those who don't have the ability to maybe click and look at it as we speak, Kevin. But it is really powerful to see the illustration that you're going to take through for us today. It's I, This is something I've certainly heard talked about before. But I don't know if I've ever really seen the math done to just show how dramatic of a difference it is when you run into this risk, this risk of bad timing. So I'm looking forward to your to your examples and illustrations of just, you know, how, boy, if you have a little bit of bad luck here and you're not uh, have a, having a plan in place for it, you're in trouble. So a few of these concepts that we need to understand, the first one is just understanding the difference between average returns and compound returns. So the example that's on the website has an average return of 6.8%. And if we could get 6.8% each and every year throughout retirement without any ups or downs, then that would be quite nice. You can go ahead and plan with a much more deterministic future. You know how much money is coming in. There's not going to be the 2008s or the tech bubbles that are bursting and making your account balance go down. But investments don't really work like that. I heard somebody once describe this volatility as a wiggly factor. And if you have you know, money down at the bank, the interest rates are going to move and they're going to wiggle a little bit. If you have money in, say, U.S. government bonds of maybe you know, five, 10 years or corporate bonds, they're going to wiggle a little bit more. And if you put money into stocks, it's going to wiggle a whole heck of a lot over time. So you're always going to have this wiggling or volatility, and you're never going to get the average return. You're never going to get that same return each and every year. So the math goes like this. I'll use a simple example. You know, Suppose you have $100 in year one, and you lose half of that money. So Walter, I'm going to put you on the spot here. $100 you start with, you lose half the money well, what this, do you have after that your first year. This may get dicey as we go, but I can do that first one. We've got $50 left. <laughs> All right. So we have $50 left. And so we lost half our money. So we had a 50% decline in our dollars. And so negative 50% return. That's pretty rough. I don't like that. That's yeah. <laughs> doesn't make me feel very good. <laughs> put, put a couple more zeros behind that $100 and then you really won't like it. Yes. So you have a minus 50% return. What return do we need just to get back and break even? The simpleton would say, not simpleton, but 50% would take us back, but that would be incorrect, right? It's 100. I've played this game once before. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, you play it well, Walter. Uh, so we need to double our money. So it's kind of the uneven math, if you will, of compounded returns. You go from $100 down to 50, you lose half of your money. You go from 50 to 100, you need a 100% return. So when you look at that, all you did, and say that occurred over two years, you know, year one minus 50%, year two positive 100%, you're back at zero. So the compounded return would be zero. The average return, let's just do some 
Again, I said I was going to be light on math. This is going to be it. We have minus 50% and we have a positive 100%. So to get the average over two years, we need to add those together. We get 50%, you know, minus 50 plus 100%. So we get 50%. You think you would have killed it, yeah, with a 50% return. And well, and then you divide it by two, right? Mm -hmm. And so our average return over that two-year period is 25%. Our compounded return is zero. So one of the things I, again, financial humor is difficult, particularly for me, but one of the things I like to say is we eat compounded returns. You're not going to go down to the grocery store or go out to dinner and spend your average returns. You're only going to be able to eat your compounded returns. <laughs> and so that example is, you know, there's a lot of wiggle there. So it has a pretty extreme example. Most people don't have that kind of wiggle when they're going into retirement. You know, they're having more of a stock and bond mix, maybe some cash, what have you. But whenever you take examples to the extreme, it really helps to illustrate the point. So that's a big difference between average and compounded returns. Now, one other concept that's really important to understand when we talk about this bad timing risk is this. So Suppose that we start out investing and say that we just hit the lottery. So we got, you know, one, you shouldn't be paying the lottery unless if you're doing it, just do it for entertainment value only, not as some sort of retirement strategy. But I suspect anybody listening to this already knows that. So if you did hit some lottery or you inherited some money from, you know, a distant relative and you have a million dollars, and I'm going to use that number just because it makes, you know, it's a nice round number. So if I do have to do any math on the spot, it makes it a little bit easier for me. So you have that million dollars and you invest it. And you invest it over, say, we go five years down the road. And then we look back over the prior five years and see what happened. And, you know, maybe in year one, we had a really good year. Year two, maybe another good year. Year three was a really negative year, not good to be an investor. We saw our money go down quite a bit, year four, so on and so forth. So it doesn't really matter what the numbers were. It's just, you know, the point being that the returns are going to vary over time. They're going to wiggle. And so after the end of year five, we end up with some value. So when we talk about bad timing, all that I'm going to do here, we're going to have the exact same return sequence. So rather than going, say, the return for year one, two, three, four, five, let's just flip it. Let's count back from say, hey, in this example, to illustrate this point about return sequence risk or bad timing risk, we're just gonna go backwards and say the return that we got in year five is really gonna be the return that we had in year one in this other sequence. And the return that we got in year four is gonna be the return we got in year two, so on and so forth. So we're just gonna count backwards, same returns, just a different order of returns. So again, in this example, we start off with a million dollars and then we look at both of those sequences, both of those scenarios, and how much money is left at the end of five years. Again, scenario one returns one, two, three, four, five. Scenario two returns in backwards order, years five, four, three, two, one. And what you find, Walter, can I put you on the spot for this? Please do. Okay. I may or may not so, have pulled up the calculator, so I'm ready. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> so uh, I'm just trying to think how I can ask this question in an intelligent fashion. Um, <laughs> what could you tell me about the dollar difference, if any, at the end of year five from those two sequences? My reaction would be that they should be the same. 
is how it seems that this should go. Like the logical first blush thought is that if the returns are the same, it shouldn't matter in what year they happen because it's all starting at the same point. It's all going up and down just at different times to different levels. And so therefore we should end up at the same amount at the end of five years. You are exactly, exactly correct. Good job, Walter. Let's uh, get a little applause in the background. <laughs> so where it's different though, and, and you know, most of us don't have a wealthy uncle that we inherit a, a large amount of money from or, hit the lottery and just kind of let it ride forever. No, more typically, you know, we're working, we're saving, we're putting money into our 401k every paycheck. Maybe we're saving some additional in a Roth IRA or in a joint or trust account. And you're putting this money in as you're climbing the ladder and, you know, you're paying off the mortgage and cash flow frees up and you're saving more and saving more. And so you're putting all this money in. And then when you get into retirement, obviously, no more paycheck and you have to kind of recreate it. That's the whole series of retirement income that we're going through. So whenever you introduce those cash flows, whether it's cash coming in or cash coming out of the portfolio, and you vary the sequence as we just did, even though the returns and the percentages are going to be the same, the percentage of the returns, you know, the volatility, the wiggle factor is going to be the same. What's going to vary and very potentially quite substantially are the dollar differences. And this is where, again, it really matters in the last few years of retirement of work leading up to retirement, and particularly in the first you know handful of years or so in retirement. And if you go to the site and look at the example, what you're going to find is it's going to have a million dollars starting balance and basically pulling out about five percent or fifty thousand dollars a year to live on. And it goes out for 25 years. So over this 25-year time period, same thing's going to happen as what we did in our simplified example earlier, but it's going to be 25 years of returns and then uh, sequence A and sequence B. And all they are are the reverse of B is just the reverse of A. So the return, the average return is 6.8%. The compound return is 6%. If you look at the whole distribution of returns, on average, about two-thirds of the years are positive, which is very much akin to the stock market. Uh, it's, a, on average, up about every two out of three years. And the wiggle factor, something uh, mathematically we call a standard deviation, is about 12 or 13%. So the reason why I'm saying this is it's representative of an actual investment portfolio that someone might have you know, going into retirement. So when I look at this table and see how the returns can go and sequence A, it starts out with minus 15% year one. So the value goes down from about a million to 807,000 after the $50,000 is taken out and the 15% decline happens. Then minus 4%, so still negative, but closer to zero, minus 10%. And it goes through, I'm not going to go through every year, but ultimately what you find is even though sequence A has an average return of 6.8% and a compounded return of 6%, they're out of money after year 19. Come year 20, at this time, suppose that they're 60 years old or 65 years old, you know, they're only 80 or 85, you know, there's definitely still some living likely to be left and they're completely out of money. And of course, this assumes that they didn't make any changes, but They're completely out of money, starting with a million dollars, pulling out about 5% per year after year 19, year 20, they're dead broke. So 
pun intended, I suppose. Now, if all if we do is reverse the order of those returns, so they start off in return sequence B, starts off quite positive, 22% up, 8% up, 30% up. They don't actually have a negative return until year nine. So they got lucky, if you will. So I would say the first one got unlucky. The second one got quite lucky. And what you find there is even though they start with the same million dollars and pull out the same $50,000 per year, rather than being dead broke in year 20, at the end of year 25, they actually have $2.4 million. Same returns. Wow. Different order. Same compounded return. Same average return. Same standard deviation. Incredibly, incredibly different results. So that's bad timing. Are you going to get lucky or are you going to get unlucky? And obviously, the fact that they're taking money out of these accounts plays a big role, a big factor in this, because now you're hurting your chances of recovery when you have those early down years even more. Because theoretically, you're not just drawing the same percentage out of your portfolio as the value goes down and you continue to draw $50,000 because just because your portfolio went down a percentage doesn't mean your lifestyle is going down a percentage. And so you're now drawing what was 5%, you're now drawing out 6%, 7%, 8% of your portfolio. And then that just dramatically starts to increase, right? Yeah, completely. So a lot of people have heard of something called dollar cost averaging, basically like putting money through your payroll deduction in your 401k and it just keeps going in, you know, every two weeks, twice a month, whatever the frequency may be. And over time, you know, with that consistent, you're going to buy some, you know, when the stock market is expensive, you're going to buy some when the stock market is not expensive, but over time you kind of average in and it compounds and you create wealth. Uh, Well, the same thing can happen in reverse. And so you could have this reverse dollar cost averaging effect when you're in retirement. And that's exactly what you just described, Walter. I'll describe it another way with a, a short story. So in, it was late 2008, and you know most people listening to this will remember what happened in 08 but when lehman brothers was allowed to fail in september things got you know, really bad the market had already been bad there had been a couple different investment banks that blew up earlier in the year and the returns actually started going down in the market in 2007 and sped up in 2008 and i met a guy named steve change his name and for confidence purposes, but <laughs> met him in October 2008. And I would say that scared was a bit of an understatement. So Steve had retired earlier that summer in 2008 after having about 30 years in for Goodyear, which is a large employer in our, our area. And he was only 54 at the time. He turned 55 in October 2008. And What Steve did was not only did he retire, but he took his pension is basically his guaranteed income and converted that into a lump sum and rolled it over into his IRA and invested it. And he did this with the help of, I'll use the term advisor very loosely here, but an advisor that he was working with and uh, went ahead and invested that money in about 80% in stocks, which was generally comprised of individual stocks, which is also a big no-no in about 20% in bonds and cash and really had no financial plan. It was more of the investment plan, I would say, is kind of throwing dart at the dartboard and trying to hope that you hit it. And there's all kinds of issues even beyond that with what was going on. But what happened to Steve was literally from the time that he retired, rolled over his pension and converted that guaranteed income into 
a nice sizable amount of money in his IRA, he lost about 60% of those dollars. Hmm. He was only 54 years old. His mom just passed away last year and uh, she was in her 90s. So here's somebody that retired in their mid 50s, had you know at least eight years until Social Security was going to start, and he lost about 60% of his money. So scared absolutely was an understatement. He told me he was having difficulty sleeping at night. He was thinking about going back to work. He was pretty much ready to capitulate, and you know he thought he was going to lose everything and was going to go to zero. And I mean, I, I just wasn't going to let that happen to him. We started working together after this you know, had already happened. And so I was tasked with, I'm going to help you pick up the pieces. And, you know, you took the risk and boy, did you have some bad timing risk. And unfortunately, again, we couldn't go back and, you know, redo the prior months and actually put a plan in place. Frankly, I would have not have had him take his monthly pension in a lump sum format. It just the math didn't make sense at the time for the Goodyear pension plan. But that was all water under the bridge. It was just like, what are we going to do going forward? And so we worked through it. But anytime I talk about this bad timing risk, this is the example that I give. I talk about Steve, and he knows that I talk about him. And he's like, yes, tell people. Because <laughs> I don't want them going through what I went through because it was not pleasant. And Steve is fine today. You know, we certainly had to cut back a little bit. We looked at, you know, things that we could do as far as maybe even utilizing reverse mortgage and some other things. But ultimately, he's fine. And we did not pull back the risk. I told him, I'm like, look, you know, you took the risk. You didn't necessarily take it smartly with the quote unquote advice from this other person, but you took the risk. We're going to stick around for the return now. And you know, he had quite sizable returns once the market did come back. But then over time, we went ahead and kind of reduced the risk in his portfolio as his plan became you know, more well-funded. He actually had a financial plan. And as the market continued to do better, we just said, okay, you know, hey, we took the risk. We don't necessarily want to go through that again. Let's start reducing our risk and just having a little bit more of a sleep at night factor. So that that's about as a bad timing risk as you can get when you're, you know, mid-50s, you know, no guaranteed income until Social Security starts at least you know, eight years later, potentially 40 years ahead of you, and you just lost 60% of your money. Mm. You know, that shouldn't happen to anybody. Frankly, I mean, that guy that was given advice probably should have gotten sued. But that's what you have to plan for. You don't know, you know if a 2008 is around the corner or if you know, some planes are going to fly into a building and kind of you know, burst the tech bubble and start going down. You know, God forbid that stuff happens again, but these big financial storms do happen from time to time. Historically, they tend to be a once in a generation sort of thing. Kind of got two uh, in the more recent past. Hopefully, we don't see one anytime soon. But nonetheless, even if it's not that severe, even if you have a period of, of very low and muted returns, and some of those are negative in the early years of retirement, it's a dramatically different financial plan than if you have a real tailwind at your back. Yeah. And your illustration, just to kind of support that for those who aren't seeing the chart or, or looking at the numbers at this moment, do encourage you to go look at that later. I mean, the negative years are negative 15, negative four, negative 10, the first three years, followed by three positive years in that example, eight, 12, and 10. All sounds very plausible. Could certainly see that it's not an unreasonable scenario to think about. 
And already the portfolio after those six years is down almost $400,000 from the a million that you started with. And then by year 20, you're out of money as the whims continue to go up and down compared to just having some good timing on the front end. So I guess it comes down to things we can control and things we can't control, Kevin, but we can't control the whims of the stock market. So how do you put together a plan that can avoid things like bad timing? Because we kind of shrug our shoulders at most of the things in life where we experience bad timing as, well, there was nothing you could do about it. Uh, You know, Walter, that is a great question. And that's why we're in this retirement income series, but because we're going to be talking more about it. (laughs) (laughs) You can't give away all the goodies yet. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But, you know, if you've been listening to some of the prior episodes, this is something that you need to go through. You have to start with, you know, something that Steve didn't have. You have to start with the financial plan. It has to be reflective of your lifestyle and the goals that you have for it. And then you start working down through the different income sources that you have, Social Security, pension, making smart claiming decisions there. And then you really start stress test. That's where you get into the investments. And we're not talking about throwing a dart at the dartboard, but we're really talking about stress testing the plan, making sure that your plan can weather you know, any sort of storm. And then also looking at it relative to the goals. You know, Is it something that is more of a need? Is it something that is more of a kind of a discretionary goal that, hey, if you really did have to cut back, it may not be desirable, but it's not like you're going to have to go back to work sort of thing. All those things really are parts and pieces of a well-constructed retirement plan that then has to be matched with a very good investment plan. So we really believe in a goals-based investing approach. We'll talk about it some more in the next episodes. But if anybody's listening to this and kind of on the cusp of retirement or, you know, hey, we're in this, um, you know, quite an extended series of positive returns in the market. I mean, 2018 was slightly negative, but we've had quite a long run at our back and the market's balanced back up quite strongly this year. So I'm not going to say that anybody retiring today is going to be in a, one of these bad timing events, but you know, just mathematically, we're probably closer to it than not. So if anybody's concerned about that, all you have to do is go to the website. We have a button there that says, are we right for you? And uh, we'd be happy to speak with you. We do uh, 15 minute calls with one of our certified financial planners. Just answer some questions, see how we can help and see if it makes sense to get together in person and talk some more. That's truewealthdesign.com. Also, where you can listen to past episodes of the podcast here on Retire Smarter. Uh, You can subscribe using your favorite podcasting app as well. Lots of great information. Be sure to go back and listen to the first part of this series as well if you haven't heard it yet, uh, as we're going to be walking you through a couple of different things to be thinking about when it comes to retirement income and that very important aspect of this whole process. All the ins and outs and things that you need to know, we're setting the stage for it each episode, and we'll have another great great topic on the docket for next week as well. So be sure to come and join us for that one as we'll look forward to another episode here of Retire Smarter. Kevin, thanks so much for the help and we'll see you again soon. Sounds good, Walter. Thank you. All right. That's Kevin Krosky, Walter Storholt here. Thank you for taking the time out to join us. If you have any questions at all for Kevin, truewealthdesign.com, your place to go or give a call to the team at 855-TWD-PLAN, 7526 is the number. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time on Retire Smart.
Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.